we are finishing this series today called Jesus Revolution. And how many of y'all, just for, as a poll, how many of y'all have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Okay, all right, good. Our student, a lot of our students should be raising their hand because we, we, we took the students, that's great. And so if you have not seen Jesus Revolution, would encourage you uh, to see that. Now this sermon series isn't based off that, um, that movie, it's, it's based off the actual Jesus Revolution. And, and really it's a combination of a lot of um, revolutions where Jesus came on the planet for the very first time 2,000 years ago. That was the very first Jesus Revolution. And then there was one back in the, uh, the early 70s and, and then also um, you bring it back home to us to where we try to figure out what is a revolution in our hearts look like. Well, first of all, we need to understand what a, the definition of a revolution is. And so uh, we talked about this a few times, but a revolution means the overthrow and replacement of an established government system by the people governed. So if you have, uh, you, you have things in your life that seems to be governing you, like, man, I just can't, I can't seem to, uh, to knock this or always, always gravitate to these things, worry or doubt or, or gossip or, or, or whatever. Whatever feels like it, that, that is controlling you, that is governing you, a revolution is an overthrow of that and a replacement. But the best revolution is a Jesus revolution because you can replace what you've just uh, knocked out and you can replace it with Jesus Christ. And you can't, re- you can't have a revolution, a, a real revolution without the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the way to get the Holy Spirit, you invite, you invite Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you the ability to do that. But we talked about like week one, there are signs of revolution. You can go watch this on our, our, on our website, lakepointonline.com. And what are some signs that you need a revolution? Week two, we talked about the approach to revolution. How should we approach a revolution in our life? Do we, do we say, I'm going to man up. I'm going to just take care of this all on my own. And no, you don't do that. Uh, you, you walk in it humbly like the woman who was sick for 12 years, got on her hands and knees and approached Jesus in humility. And then uh, we also see you want to be transparent when uh, having a revolution. And then you also want to be able to surrender the things you hold dear in your life, okay? The things that you don't feel like you can do without. For some of y'all, that's your phones, really, okay? Now, I know we, we all need communication, that kind of stuff, but for some of us, it's our phones. It's like, I cannot live without my phone. I know with our teenagers, that's the case. If they're without their phone for an hour, and they, they just go into some sort of shock, you know, or something. But, but really, if, if, if you, um, if, if there's anything in your life and this is a good thing to ask yourself. If there's anything in your life that you just cannot live without, and that thing is other than Jesus, then that is a way for you to like, okay, God, maybe I need to, maybe I need to surrender these things uh, to you. So it's all about the approach to revolution. Uh, week three, we talked about share the revolution. If, if, if there's a revolution that really happened in your life, you want to share with others. If, if Jesus Christ truly has done something in your life, you want to tell others, okay? If, you're, if your favorite uh, basketball team, football team, baseball team, if they win a game, what do you, you're telling people about it, right? You want to tell others. If there's a great restaurant in town, new restaurant, man, it's awesome. Man, you, you just tell others. Why? Be, because you enjoyed it and it made a difference in your life. And, and you're like, man, this is exciting. It's awesome. Well, if you get more excited about a new restaurant than Jesus, then I guarantee you a Jesus revolution is needed in your life. 
Let that sink in. If you're more excited about some of those other things, then Jesus making a change in your life. We need to share the revolution. The last week, we talked about the impact of revolution. We went through a lot of historical things over the last 2,000 years in our culture and our nation and beyond, and we talked about what the impact that was made out of the original Jesus revolution, Jesus coming onto the planet, and then we can continue to make that impact on the lives of others. So today, in this final message, I felt impressed to understand the cost of revolution. So today's message is all about the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. Now, let me make something very clear. Salvation is free. Okay? That's the gospel. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. Okay, like your birthday, you get gifts. You did nothing for that. Zero. You did nothing to earn that. Now, you might get better presents if you obey, you know, that kind of stuff, and I don't know. But if you receive gifts for your birthday, it's not because you did anything. You arrived on the planet, and you even coming on the planet, you had nothing to do with that, right? So it's, that's how it is with salvation. Salvation is free. We don't have to earn it. Salvation is free, however, costly to live out. It's costly to live out. In sharing the gospel with people, we need to tell people both about the free gift of salvation and the high cost of following Christ. We need to tell them both about repentance of sin and then also tell them about faith. So what is the cost of following Jesus? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. That's going to be our main passage of Scripture today. So if you want to turn to your copy of God's Word, your printed copy, your digital copy, if you don't have that, we have it on the screens. For those who are watching online, it's going to be on the screens as well. So Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be going on to verse 18. But while you turn there, let me set this up uh, for you. Um, So the cost of following Jesus, there's three things we're going to look at in this passage. And, uh, and I'll tell you what those are now, right now. The cost of following Jesus, uh, the commands of Jesus, the cost of putting Christ first, and the cost of following through on your commitment, on your commitment. So let's open up God's Word, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. So let's look at that. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So the, the first of, of the cost of following Jesus' commands is, uh, the, the cost of following Jesus is to follow his commands. You know, Jesus speaks with authority. He even said there, uh, right there, he gave orders. Jesus speaks in orders. He gave an order to cross to the other side of the lake. You might, we must do what he tells us to do, and we must go where he wants us to go, where he tells us to go. 
And, and, and Jesus will speak to you through the Holy Spirit. As you spend time with him, you get to know the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and you get to, and the Holy Spirit will speak in other ways as well, through other people, circumstances, and you're going to find and realize, wow, I think, I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're supposed to do this. And sometimes those are big things, and sometimes those are small things. In our family, adoption, God spoke very clearly on that, okay? And he provided the way. Church planting, God spoke very clearly on that. I mean, and, and we followed through. And, and there's things in your life, whether it be changing careers, Okay, getting married to the person you're married to, uh, starting a family, all of this stuff. And so as we listen to the Holy Spirit and what God wants us to do, we've got to follow his commands. So Jesus told his disciples um, uh, what to do. One of the last things Jesus told his disciples to do was to go and make more disciples. If you realize, don't turn there, and, and you realize in, in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. Now, that is called the Great Commission, okay? Jesus is telling me it is a command, and by the way, that wasn't just to those disciples. Guess what? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. Look at the people next to you. Say, you are a disciple. You're a disciple. Great. Awesome. Great. Now, so if you are a disciple, of, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple of him. And this, that right there is for you as well. And so we must go and make disciples. And he tells us what to do. You know, most of us may not like other people telling us what to do, but Jesus has ultimate authority. He has the right to tell you what to do in your life and what not to do. You know, that is, that is really just making Jesus Lord. Obeying the authority of Christ is making him Lord of your life. If you call Jesus Lord, but you don't, if, if we don't obey him, if we don't obey his commands, and by the way, there's plenty of those in here, okay? There's plenty of those. Some people think the word of God, or there's so many do nots, you know, do not do this, do not do this. Let me tell you something. If you focus on the do's, you don't have to worry about the do nots. You focus on the do's, you don't have to worry about all the do nots in this book. Just focus on what to do. Just obey his commands. And when we obey his commands, we make him Lord. So do what Jesus tells you to do, and then go where Jesus tells you to go. And that great commission I just, I just reminded us about, the very first word was go. Go, make disciples. Go. Very first words. So we need to go where Jesus tells us to go. We even see this in that scripture we read in Matthew chapter 18. The people are on one side of the lake and Jesus gives orders to cross to the other side of the lake. That was his orders, okay? He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Why do you think Jesus gives us such an order? Once again, Jesus is not simply looking for crowds who will follow him around. He is looking for disciples who will follow his commands, now, the crowd just came naturally. Jesus wasn't looking for the crowds. The crowds came to him. He started healing people and teaching, and boom. He just, people showed up. He wasn't trying to, 
He, he ministered to them, but his goal was the crowd. His goal was the disciples because those guys and, and, and all of his, the other people who were following him, they would go and change the world. They would literally launch the church filled with the Holy Spirit. For the first time ever, Holy Spirit comes on in anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as Savior. And so, but Jesus is not simply looking for crowds who will follow him around. He's looking for disciples who will follow his commands. The crowds are there because of Jesus' miracles. They are more interested in what Jesus can do for them than what Jesus requires of them. The crowds are more concerned of what Jesus can do for them rather than what is required of them. So that's the difference between a crowd, a person in the crowd, and a, and a follower of Jesus Christ. A person who doesn't really understand the cost and a person who understands the cost. The person who follows the cost and pays the cost, I mean, the person who does not pay the cost, and the, some, and the person who does pay the cost. Hopefully I haven't confused you. So you have the crowd and you have the disciples. Which are you in? Are you trying, are you want a relationship with Jesus so, just so what Jesus can do for you? Or you have a relationship with Christ because of what he calls you to do? Because what he requires of you? You must do what he tells you to do and you must go where he tells you to go. So that is the first cost of following Jesus. Follow his commands. The second, there's three of them. We're on two. The second is this, the cost of putting Christ first. The cost of putting Christ first. I'm going to go back to that, um, to that passage in uh, Matthew. I'm just going to read 19 through 22. It says this, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my, uh, my father. But Jesus said to him, uh, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So you have two men that come to Jesus. The first one impulsively tells Jesus that he will follow him wherever he goes. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever I go. Let's do this. Just kind of like this, you know, he doesn't really understand what, what really that means. Hey, wherever you go, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And he's a teacher. And the second one is actually a, a disciple, not one of the, the main 12. I mean, you had, you had the 12 chosen apostles, but you had other disciples, followers of Jesus, so he had one, uh, uh, the, the second one wants to follow Jesus but needs to take care of some personal business. The first one is eager to follow Jesus. The second one is hesitant and reluctant. And yet they both have something in common. Each of them has an obstacle to following Jesus, which Jesus will expose in his dialogue to them. And that is this. Neither of them is willing to put Christ first. Neither of these men are willing to put Christ first in their life in order to follow him. So, Jesus' dialogue with, the, uh, with these men will reveal in the first one, we see we need to put Christ before personal comfort. We need to put Christ before our personal 
comfort. There's a lot to, there's a lot to like about the first guy. Okay, the first guy, he, he's a teacher of the law, which means he spend a lot of time studying God's word and is well respected in the community. He approaches Jesus respectfully, calling him teacher. He approaches Jesus enthusiastically, pledging, I will follow you wherever you go. There's a lot to like about this guy. But Jesus is more than just a fellow teacher. Jesus has absolute authority as shown by his miracles. He has, he, um, he has authority to tell us what to do and where to go. And so we need to count the cost of following him. So this man, he, he pledged to follow Jesus without first counting the cost. He pledged to follow Jesus without first counting the cost. The key word in this man's offer to Jesus is the word wherever. Wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. And see, Jesus follows up on that. And rather than applauding this man's desire to to follow him wherever he was going to go, he kind of steps back a bit and uh, he gives him a a dose of, of reality about what it means to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Because ultimately, Jesus is going to the cross. Ultimately, Jesus, his, his destination is a cross of suffering and shame. It, it, is this guy willing to follow Jesus to the cross? Is he willing to, to follow him all the way to the end, wherever you may go? Now, Jesus doesn't even bring up the cross here, but he just... He, he knows where he's going. He just points out to his general homelessness and wanderings of lack of personal comforts because, you know, he, let's face it, if you're not willing to put Christ before your personal comforts, you probably aren't ready to follow him all the way to the cross. So this teacher, he's well-respected in the community, and he, uh, him being a teacher, he's well taken care of. He's got everything he needs. He's got the great house. He's got, he's got um, his pantries full. I mean, he, he's got nice furniture. He's got nice clothes. I mean, this guy is taken care of very well, and he's very, very comfortable. He is comfortable in, in, every, in, in what he's doing. And Jesus says, look, I, I don't have a home. I'm homeless. <laughs> I'm homeless. I don't have a home. And, 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 and I don't know exactly where my next meal is going to come. Well, Jesus knew where his next meal was going to come from, but the disciples didn't. We don't know where our next meal is going to come from. Can you really do that? Can you really follow me wherever I will go? So we need to make sure we can put Jesus first before our personal comforts. There's a cost of following Jesus. Why would Jesus discourage this man like this? Once again, Jesus is not looking for a crowd to follow him around. He is looking for disciples who will follow his commands and ultimately who will follow him to the cross. Jesus Christ is not a celebrity. This teacher of the law probably saw a lot of these things. Man, he, he, he's drawing 5,000, more than 5,000 people to his teachings. I mean, he, he's fed all of these people a sack lunch. He's healing all these people. Man, this guy's a rock star. Man, I want to be like you. I want to follow wherever you go. And somebody, he, he was celebrity status. 
And so Jesus, he didn't, uh, he didn't want this guy to follow him just for that. Sometimes it seems we all want the rewards of Christian discipleship without making any of the sacrifices. But it doesn't work that way. That doesn't work the way, that way in any other life, any other area of life. If, if you want to be a great athlete, you make great uh, sacrifices. You want to be a great musician, you make great sacrifices. Okay? If you want to be a, a, a doctor, medical doctor, you, you make great sacrifices. A lot of, whatever your career is or whatever you do, you make great sacrifices. And it's the same with following Jesus. We need to make sacrifices. In our day, there's so many people, especially since COVID, and I know COVID was awful, but it just seems like, and, and, and I think as, as the church, the Big C Church, we're starting to see you know, some more comeback to this, but just for, for the longest time, it's just like, come on, let's, we need to gather together, but there's still so many people that just aren't committed to following Jesus, if you, if you say Jesus is Lord, if you invite him into your heart and your life, you want to follow him to the ends of the earth. You want to follow him, but you also have to count the cost. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you must put Christ first, above your personal comfort. Now, if you follow Jesus, your comfort might be the comfort of certain friends, your reputation. And so, if you follow Jesus, especially in our, in, our, in our youth culture today, if our students want to follow Jesus, they're going to have to make a stand. And they're going to have to say, hey, I'm not crossing this line because it goes outside of what I believe. It goes outside of my faith. It goes outside. Of, I mean, if I cross this line, then I will, I will, I will not please my Lord and Savior Jesus. I will not honor him in what I do with my actions. And so sometimes the comfort of having those friends outweighs following Jesus. If that's the case, you know, we need a heart check. Sometimes we need, a, we, we, we need to not be comforted by those friends and them accepting us. We want to only be accepted by Christ and follow him. And I know it's tough, it's tough teaching, but we want to put Christ first above our comfort. The second thing is above our relationships. This is the second man. Above our relationships. This man at least showed his initial commitment to following Christ. Why? Because he was, he was a disciple. But not like the, the teacher of the, of the law, this man addresses Jesus as Lord rather than teacher. So he's a little bit further along. He's already been following Jesus. There's a, there's a bit of discipleship already happening. Okay, this is, uh, this is a guy who's equivalent to going to, going to church a lot and, and being involved in, in, in the church and, 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 uh, and growing with Christ and, and reading the Bible and those kinds of things and, and praying and lifting up others in prayer. I mean, that's kind of what is equivalent today. Okay, this guy was already a disciple. But, and here's the problem. He was willing to do this, not now, but later. Because he said, first, let me go and bury my 
father. This man's problem is highlighted by the word first. Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. You, you don't call Jesus Lord and then put your agenda before his. Okay, Lord, I, I want to follow you, but, 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 no. I want to follow you, Lord, but first, no. I want to follow you, exclamation point. I want to follow you, exclamation point. Whatever it takes, I want to follow you. You supply the agenda. I'm going to follow you. Now, you may think, wow, that's, that's pretty harsh for Jesus to say, you, this guy can't even go bury his father. It's biblical scholars feel like, you know, if you study this passage and stuff and, and, and culture and everything, this, this man, there was no indication that his father was dead. There was no indication of that. Okay, so what, what really this man is saying is this. Look, Jesus, um, I want to be in good standing with my, with my father. Why? Because there is what is called an inheritance. So I want to make sure I take care of my father and make sure that I'm in good standing with him until he dies. When he dies, I'm going to be able to get that inheritance. Because it was very honorable for, a, a, especially a son, to go and bury. There we go. There we go. For a son to go and bury his father. It was very honorable for that. And so, but what this man was saying is this, look, my, my standing with my dad, my standing with my dad in order for me to get an inheritance is more important than following you. Right? And so when we put our own agenda out there, then we, we're not really ready to follow him. When we put other people ahead of Jesus and another agenda, we aren't really ready to follow him. So, we need to follow his commands. We need to put Christ first. Put Christ first above our relationships, above our comfort, our comforting lifestyle. Put him first. And then the third and final thing, the cost of following through on your commitment. The cost of following through on your commitment. Let's read this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Same chapter. Just go one more verse. Verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. He got into the boat, and his disciples followed followed him. The moment of truth arrived. Back in verse 18, Jesus gave the orders to cross over to the other side. Now finally, Jesus gets into the boat and the true disciples, those who are really ready to follow him, go with Jesus. It's a moment of truth. They showed by their actions commitment. Because let me tell you, when Jesus is talking to this, these two men, I guarantee you his, his, his original 12 are right, right around close by. 
They want to make sure, you know, protect, you know, protecting him and being around him as much as possible. But these two men, this conversation, these guys heard this. And there's more of that these men heard that's not even in God's word. Well, we'll ask them one day in heaven. I would love that. I'd love to just sit down with some of those disciples. We will. But Jesus, when he taught this, when he, when he shared this hard teaching to these two men, the disciples heard it. Right then and there, the disciples could have said, whoa, this is, this is hard teaching. This is difficult. And they showed it in their actions. They got into the boat. They got into the boat. There wasn't a command. Jesus didn't demand, hey, Jesus didn't say, hey, get into the boat, we're, we're going to go. He got into the boat, and what happened? The true followers got in the boat with Jesus. If we're, gonna, if we're really going to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus, we're going to want to get in the boat with him. We are going to want to, on our own initiative, on our own choice, get in the boat with Jesus and say, you know what? I'm putting you first. I'm putting you first. I'm putting you first in in front of my job. I'm putting you first in front of my comforts. I'm putting you first in my finances. I'm putting you first in my relationships. I'm putting you first in, in what I watch. I'm putting you first in my speech. I'm putting you first in my friends, friendship circles. I'm putting you first in my day. I'm putting you first, yes, even before my family. I'm putting you first. Numero uno. Putting him first. And that's what the disciples did. The true disciples. Jesus got in his boats. His disciples followed him. Part of the cost of following Jesus is following up on your commitment to follow him. If you have made a commitment to follow Jesus, then follow up on that commitment. Follow up on that commitment. If you really want a Jesus revolution in your life, a change, again, something that, is, that needs to be broken down, tore out, and replaced in your life, then it's going to take a cost. It's going to take a cost of following Jesus. Salvation is free. Walking the faith is not. Salvation is free. Following Jesus is not. There's a cost, just like with anything in life. And it makes sense. So I want to encourage you, as your pastor here today or watching online or listening live or later, it doesn't matter, I want to encourage you to, to follow Jesus and to count the cost. Follow his commands. Do what he tells you to do. You could start with this. Do what he tells you to do. Go where he tells you to go. Put him first in your life. Put him first in your life. And I know we have lots of distractions in our, in our society, but put him first in your life, in your day, in your relationships, all of that. Your comforts, all of that. Just like those two men. 
And then follow through with your commitment. Follow through. We, we just need, we need to be workers in the field. Do you realize how many people are, are dying and going to hell? You know how I many people, they die, they don't know Jesus. That happens every second. So, we need workers. We need workers. Jesus needs workers. In order for you to be a worker in the field and tell others, you, you've got to be growing in your faith. Opening God's word, praying, coming to church, hearing things like this, getting involved in small groups. There's lots of things we've got to be doing, but we've got to be workers in the field. We can't just be the consumers, okay? Can't be consumers. When you, see a, when you pass by a cornfield, that cornfield will involve two groups of people, those people who work it and those people who consume it. Those people who work it and those people who consume it. Are you just going to stand on the sidelines and be a consumer? No. Be a worker. Be a worker for the kingdom. And the way you do that is you consider the cost to say, I will follow Jesus. All the way to the cross. Meaning you got to take up your cross daily and follow him. It is a daily decision. That's what Jesus says. It is a daily decision. But Jesus, more than anybody, knew the ultimate cost of a revolution. In order for this revolution, 2,000 years ago, to really take place, he had to pay the ultimate cost. He had to pay the ultimate price. And that was, that was his life. His sinless, perfect, incredibly beautiful life. And then while he was on the cross, God laid all the sins of humanity. I don't know how that works, but God can do anything. He laid all the sins of humanity on his son. He turned his head, turned his face, because he couldn't look upon sin. And, and Jesus died. He paid the ultimate price. There's a cost. But here's the great thing about it. It costs us to follow Jesus, but it, it doesn't cost our very life. Meaning, in order, like, like we don't have to die. We don't have to die in, in order to pay for our own sins. Jesus did that. Now, there are martyrs. There are people who've been martyred for their faith, and that's something different. But, but Jesus went to the cross, and he paid the ultimate price. Uh, we see this in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6. It says this, he was despised and rejected. This is about Jesus. By mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one who, from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in a low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. And that was his life. And it's represented by something we're going to do today. It's represented in these elements of the cup and the bread. The cup representing his blood The bread representing his body. His body was torn, beaten for you, for your sin. Jesus Christ died for you. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept him as your Savior. He will come in and make his home with you. Your body is a tabernacle, okay? Your body is a place where the Holy Spirit can can live. And the blood is a blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And we see this in in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. This is the the scene of the Last Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is what I want us to do today. Here in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. And then after that prayer, we're going to, we're going to sing a song. Now, that song is going to, we're gonna, that's just going to kind of be in the background while we take the Lord's Supper, but I encourage you to sing along or to meditate on those words. But the elements are right here on the, on the stage. So here's what we want to do, and we have an entire song to do this. We've got plenty of time, all the time in the world. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up to this area during the song, and I want you to either in families or individually take your cup, and the bread, and, and we could fill up this altar. You could just move to the side and take your, take your elements here, or you can go to your chair. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to test your heart and ask yourself this question. Lord Jesus, what do I need to give up to follow you? What do I need to give up to follow you? What is standing in the way from me being Someone who has a revolution, a change happening. What do I need to give up to follow you? When he reveals that, you probably already know what that is. When you reveal that, say, Lord, I give it up. Surrender it to him. And then take the bread and then take the cup at your own time, your own leisure. We're going to have Pastor Terry and some of our elders will be up here at the front I encourage you to come and pray. Continue to pray. You could stay up here and take your elements, whatever. Just come up here. You got more more business to do with God. That's what this is for. We got time. We need to lift one another in prayer. You see someone praying, do not let them pray alone at the altar. Let's pray 
together. And let's take the Lord's Supper together in perfect communion.